now doing News Plus Sports. There's no orange man bad or good uniparty mantra here. Red Pill Plus. Red Pill Plus. Sports Plus News. Done right. Welcome to the Red Pill Plus Podcast. This is your host, Donnie Copeland, on this wonderful Saturday morning. It's about 1.46 a.m. Central Time here in the great state of Arkansas in the capital city of Little Rock. Uh, Actually, North Little Rock, uh, overlooking the uh, tree-lined streets of uh, the fair suburb that I live in here in the little suburb of Sherwood, Arkansas, just right outside, probably about seven miles from the capital itself. Man, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, We hit you up this week with a little bit of uh, LSU stuff, uh, some portal, uh, college football portal stuff. Now we're coming back with a little politics tonight. Have a fascinating, um, to me, I hope it's this fascinating to you, a fascinating a little thing I want to delve into, and that is that I really believe that Rush Limbaugh would have loved Vivek Ramaswamy. And let me me explain, and uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about Vivek and also listening to some of his uh, opinions and explanations about conservatism. And how I kind of derived this, I was listening last night to Vivek. Uh, he actually was on CNN a couple of nights ago, and they actually wouldn't let him talk. He was doing a town hall, and the people, I mean, he was answering some tough questions. We're going we're gonna to listen to a little bit of that tonight. And uh, it, it dawned on me, I remember one time listening, as I did, I, I, I listened to Rush every single day, uh, especially if I was in the car, um, and if I, of course, wasn't in the car between uh, what two and uh, two and or twelve and two or twelve and three, whatever it was, uh, obviously those days I wouldn't listen to him. But generally, I would be in the car at least some of that uh, for a moment or two of that time, or maybe sometimes you know quite a bit. But nonetheless, uh, I listened to him pretty much daily. And listened to him since 1986. I discovered him on WBAP uh, in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth uh, when we lived up in Sherman. And the WBAP was real strong signal clear up into Sherman, which was about 45, 50 minutes away. And, uh, but anyway, that's where I first knew of Rush Limbaugh. And uh, I'd never heard anyone, I didn't know I was a conservative, and I'd never heard anyone articulate conservative principles the way that he did. Not even uh, the great communicator, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, who could communicate wonderfully, but didn't always communicate what being a conservative was. He did some, and you know he would use little idioms or little 
sayings like, you know, 10 worst uh, words in the human languages, we're from the government, we're here to help, and stuff like that, which does have some, uh, some by extension, uh, conservative uh, principles and, and, and really speaks to what the opposite of conservatism is, but a great way to articulate it. So he certainly was, uh, being Ronald Reagan, uh, was really good at it, but no one could could uh, equal Rush Limbaugh. He was the probably in history the single greatest communicator of what a conservative uh, is and and was. Uh, and I would dare say, you know, his radio audience was in the tens of millions, twenty twenty five million. And uh, over the years, the composite amount of people that he schooled, uh, and I don't know that's used as a, a pejorative nowadays, but, but I say that in the most positive sense, that he uh, taught, uh, literally was in the millions that he turned to conservatism, and then helped people to understand what they felt, what it really was, and why they felt the way they did. So all that being said, I've not heard or seen anyone. Now, make no mistake about it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, Donald Trump fan. Uh, I'll, I'll probably uh, assuredly vote for Donald Trump in the, uh, in the primary. But I've never heard anyone articulate conservatism like Vivek Ramaswamy. You couple that and and add to that because it's more than just one or two things. Uh, his success at such a insane the insane success he has been at such an ex, uh, insane early age. He's not even forty years of age, and uh, now is if he's not a billionaire, he's close. Uh, a great family man, uh, you know, a good moral person. And I know some people are going to say, well, he's not a Christian, but I'm, you know, Donald Trump, I'm, I'm not here to judge if Donald Trump was a Christian or is a Christian or not, but there was plenty of evidence, uh, fruit, to indicate that he either was, like the rest of us, struggling maybe quite a bit, to, to be Christ-like or whatever, but I don't want to get into that tonight. What I, what I want to say is I'm, I'm not voting for, uh, you know, uh, preacher-in-chief. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for commander-in-chief. And yeah, do I want our commander-in-chief to be godly? Do I want them to be moral? Absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'm, I'm not looking for them to be, uh, you know, like me or like someone maybe that I would admire much more than myself as far as their life and living for God. Um, but I've, I've not met anyone, I've not listened to anyone that could articulate conservatism in the way that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy does. Now here's an interesting thing about him is that Vivek Ramaswamy, much like Donald Trump, was... Uh, has not been a Republican. And and here's the thing. The GOPers thinks that's a negative thing to the to the 
to the uh, independent voter, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Actually, it's a badge of honor that he's not a lifelong Republican. He doesn't talk like a Republican. He doesn't act like a Republican. He acts like a conservative, uh, and an America first conservative, no less. And that is totally and completely different than what we have experienced just this week. Mike Johnson's meeting, and I don't even know what that meeting was about. It may be much to do about nothing, but I know the... Uh, NDD that they signed uh, the meeting with Paul Ryan. You know, we have been disappointed so often that we don't even care if someone... That's how Donald Trump rose to power. You know, we were so sick of the Mitt Romneys and the John McCains and the, you know, uh, Ted Cruz's that pretend to be so tough and pretend to be so conservative and, you know, the Tom Cottons from my own state, whom I really had such high hopes for. And those guys just, they take the money, they take the power, they take the prestige, and, uh, you know, leave the American people holding the bag. And it happens time and time and time again. And so uh, people heard Donald Trump say, hey, this guy doesn't talk like a politician. He doesn't act like a politician. Uh and, and that's what attracted them to him. And, and that's what the GOP and the establishment and Democrats cannot get through their skull. That people, you say, well, he's so different. He's, he's so this and that. And a lot of that is, you know, in their minds, negative. And they think that should be a negative. And it's like, no, no. If, you know, it's, it's, it's what people are looking for. They're looking for something different. Well, I think Vivek Ramaswamy has that in spades. And and here's here's what I mean by that is if you'll notice he doesn't use the typical buzzwords. He doesn't answer questions by talking and talking and talking and not answering the question. He answers really tough questions directly. Uh like, you know, are you a Hindu? Yes, I am. And then puts the best face on it, but just says, yes, I am. And, uh, and you know, would you send people who were dreamers back to their country? Yes, I would. And no one, no one else answers those questions. Now, uh, I, I'm just like you. I, I wonder if all this is legit. I, a thought hit me today was, could it be that he's a stalking horse to uh, take votes away from Donald Trump to try to take the uh, try to take the nomination away from Donald Trump, split it between Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, uh, Krispy Kreme, Christie, uh, and uh, or the Jersey Well, as <laughs> Donald Trump called it. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and that's legit. You know, we've been so uh, misguided, misled, and, and uh, deceived so many times. I mean, you, you know, you don't know what to believe. And so we took a chance on Donald Trump, and we were mostly right. We were, we were much more right than we were wrong about him. No, he wasn't a conservative, but he, and he certainly wasn't a Republican. But he was much better than any Republican we have ever had. And as good, if not better, 
and I would say in many ways better than Ronald Reagan. And I never thought, never dreamed I would say that. Now, that's why I'm saying all this with a caveat is that, and, and only time will tell, but if, if Vivek Ramaswamy is indeed genuine and he is not a stalking horse and he's not you know, someone put there just to undermine Donald Trump, uh, then, and someone said, well, you know, he would never insult, uh, and he didn't insult Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, well, maybe a little bit Chris Christie when he told me to go get, enjoy a meal. Um, but for the most part, he's not made it personal. It's all been policy, which I really, really like that, that it's not personal. And, and isn't it amazing that the media takes Vivek to task because he dared said something about Nikki Haley's family and called it a personal attack when he didn't. He just said, you're being a hypocrite because, Nikki Haley, you're saying, you know, we shouldn't be on TikTok and your grown daughter's on TikTok. And if you remember, Nikki Haley called him scum. Uh, he just pointed out the hypocrisy of Nikki Haley. She couldn't stand it. So could could the GOP that all be an act? And, you know, he's, quote, unquote, I didn't think he personally insulted her. He just, he insulted her by calling her hand uh, and making Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley look like, you know, 50 or 60 IQ, uh, points, IQ points, you know, dumber than, are, are less smart than they actually are, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely possible. But, you know, we kind of all have a sense of when we think at least we're being lied to and when we're not. And I get a strong sense that this guy's the real deal. And so, you know, that's... That's what I'd like to believe, and, and that's what I choose to believe, uh, definitely. Uh, what I'd like to do is, and I'm, I may play a lot, I may not play so much. I thought it's fantastic that uh, that he is, um, Alex Jones interviewed him uh, uh, today or yesterday, and Alex Jones is, from what I understand, is back on X, uh, which I'm glad. I, I really, and I think that interview with, uh, Tucker Carlson uh, did the trick. Uh, but uh, what I thought would be really good is to uh, take the some of the things that he said, how he answers questions, and that's why I think that Rush Limbaugh would have absolutely loved Vivek Ramaswamy because, yes, he's successful. Yes, he answers questions directly. Yes, he has a way of explaining conservatism. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I think he'll do much, much better in Iowa than people are thinking. Now, I, I'm not saying he's going to win Iowa, and I hope he does. But what I am saying, I think he's bringing a lot of people, much like uh, Donald Trump did he's and uh, Ronald, Ronald Reagan, he's bringing a lot of people, especially young people that have been lethargic relative to voting and he's bringing them into the fold and I think that is absolutely huge another interesting fact and he brought this up is that in uh, Iowa 
you actually can caucus, then that's what they call their their primary uh, is is not voting but caucusing, and you actually can caucus at seventeen if you turn eighteen in the year of the caucus. Uh, so if you turn eighteen any time in twenty twenty four, then you can caucus uh, at as early as 17 in the state of Iowa, which I found to be pretty fascinating. And I think he's going to bring a lot, a lot of people, much like Rick Santorum uh, really brought the the anti-abortion, super conservative people out, even though I don't think he was necessarily, uh, you know, I think he was bought and paid for just like the rest of them. Uh, but he brought a lot of the evangelical Christian conservatives out. The, the thing for all the uh, talk about how narrow-minded and how um, you know rigid and everything else evangelicals are, I think you'll be amazed at how many evangelicals will vote for Vivek Ramaswamy. And the reason is, is because they're not looking again for their Savior. They have a Savior, Jesus Christ. They're looking for a president and someone who is that young, that energetic, that uh, powerful in communication and so incredibly smart uh, and, and tough. I think he's, you know, he's got, he's got, uh, I think he's got what it takes. And I really, really like him, you know, and I didn't think I would ever say this, but I, I know I'm going to really, and I, again, I never thought I would say this, uh, and I hope and pray that Vivek is the real deal, and I believe he is, but I never thought I would say this, but I almost wish, because I'm going to vote for Donald Trump just out of loyalty and because of what he's been through, and I think he's, you know, I think he'll do better this time, but, and I, I think we owe it to him. You know, I do. And that's my problem with Ron DeSantis. I love Ron DeSantis as a governor. I don't like that he ran against Donald Trump. Not that he didn't, you know, didn't have the right to or shouldn't have. It's that Donald Trump was being attacked by every side and he needed everybody that he could to be on his side and to be rallying with him, not trying to marginalize him and water him down further and and drag him down further and so I, and I think that is the overwhelming uh, feeling of of MAGA in fact I saw something not and I don't know how scientific this was I don't think it was all that scientific but scientific but I think it probably could be a good indicator and someone ran a poll and said, and again, I don't even know where this poll was. I uh, couldn't really find much about it. But it's kind of a sense I have is if for some reason Donald Trump didn't run, who would be your second choice? And 65% of the people polled said it would be Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Ron DeSantis was a far distant second or third behind Donald Trump. I guess be second since the question was, who would you vote for if Donald Trump didn't run? Uh, and it was Ron DeSantis at 27%, Vivek at 65%, and Haley and uh, Josie Whale, um, I mean, Josie Wells, uh, uh, Chris Christie, I'm sorry, uh, you know, had single digits. So um, 
fascinating stuff. Uh, let's get into let's get into some of the answers, and I want you to see. Now, a lot of you have heard Vivek uh, talk, but again, this this um, episode tonight is. I really think that Rush Limbaugh would have loved Vivek Ramaswamy because what Rush said was, you you know. Conservatism is the way forward. Conservatism is the answer. Conservatism is, it's got everything you need. It's like the gospel. It is, it is the answer to everything. But if you can't articulate it and you can't explain to people, it doesn't matter. And that was Rush's, uh, kind of his mantra was, and he was so incredibly good at it. And, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is, he he is as good as I've heard since Rush Limbaugh. Uh, so let's let's uh, let, let me delve in here and get you a little bit of taste of uh, some of his um, some of the, what I'm talking about here tonight is uh, talking about it and and how he talks about it. Uh, here's him talking about uh, how how he would fire. Uh, because I said, well, you can't fire, you know, a million people. You can't fire the deep state. And here is him explaining not only how he would do it, but why it needs to be done from a conservative standpoint. Now, when I click on this, I'm probably going to have to run it back. So just give me a second here. Hold on. Here we go. We'll have a 75% reduction okay, in American politics today. The people who we elect to run the government are not the ones who are even actually running the government. So that's the conservative, that's what I love about him, that's the conservative point. The people who are running the government are not the people who we elected to run the government. And he's not wrong. That is the number one problem right now in America. Then he goes on to talk about how he's going to do it. That's the thing I love about him. He will state a conservative principle that it should be the people we elect that is making the decisions, not people like Vindman and people like that, that just these CIA, you know, uh, uh, corrupt scum. Uh, And so listen to him here talk about first the principle and then how we're going to carry it out. It is the bureaucrats in those three-letter agencies that are writing regulations that Congress never gave them the authority to write. And the good news is a U.S. president can absolutely fix that. That takes a U.S. president with a spine. So what I've said is in my administration, by the end of year one, we will have a 75% reduction in the number of federal bureaucrats. We will shut down government agencies that should not exist. We will rescind any regulation that fails the test of West Virginia versus EPA, which is the most important Supreme Court case of our lifetime. That said, if Congress didn't deal... Nobody on that, I don't think anybody else on that stage uh, would would even know to cite that case. Now, not only is he a, a highly successful CEO, he's also an attorney. And so we've never had anyone this qualified, this articulate, and this conservative, if indeed he is as conservative as I hope and pray that he is. He continues. Gate that to an administrative agency, then it's unconstitutional. These are seismic changes. These are big changes that the next president can deliver.
deliver without asking Congress for permission or for forgiveness. And I want people to understand that distinction because people have been sold myths by politicians for a long time saying, I'm going to work with Congress to do this or that. Much of what you've heard on the stage from the other politicians fit that description. They need Congress. The things that I'm promising you, this is what the leader of the executive branch gets to do under Article 2 of the Constitution. Thank you. See, in this right here, they, they started interrupting him so he didn't get to say much more. But here's a conservative principle that he makes that is huge. And that is uh, that you have to know as the president, you have to know what your rights are and what you can do and what you can't do, uh, can and cannot do. And so he, he makes that very, very uh, clear. Uh, so... Uh, there was something that happened during the last debate, and you may have picked up on this, or you may not have. I want to kind of weave it in to tonight's episode because I think it's so important, because it, it actually makes my case uh, about uh, his, his ability to communicate. But there's a much deeper issue here, and I wasn't planning on doing it this early in the show, but it popped up on the, I've got everything queued up and it popped up, so I'm going to go ahead and just go, but I want to set the stage. And what happened at the last debate, they asked uh, Vivek about, and of course he was a drug uh, company CEO, he started a drug company, and they asked him about, about Operation Warp Speed, which Trump, you know, undertook and led, and uh, about the uh, litig litigation immunity uh, for those uh, companies, and then, of course, the subsequent poison that was put into people's veins and is killing people left and right, and should they be uh, held liable or not? Well, what you may not, I didn't know this, and I watched the debate, but I was not aware of this, that when he started explaining this, uh, the screen went black, and for eight minutes they had ads, and that part of his, an his answer never aired. Well, someone grabbed the, uh, the video and the audio and so I'm going to play you the I'm going to play you the question, and I'm going to play you the audio. And so I'm doing two things here tonight. One, I'm kind of reinforcing my contention that we've never had anyone that could communicate on this level, uh, both understandable and then articulate it so well, the conservative position, but also the strength and the conviction. And the fearlessness with which it is, I think JFK probably was the last guy. Donald Trump was the last guy, but before him was JFK. That was so such a contrarian, such an opposition to the corrupt U.S. government, and I do mean corrupt. Uh, but the second part of this is uh, illuminating the fact that he answered this question on a national debate stage, and they blacked it out. Uh, and it was dead air for uh, for five minutes. Uh, and so what I'm going to do, obviously we're not going to, uh, we're going to show you the, the, the entire thing. Uh, and uh, All right, here we go.
It's taking just a second to load. Competitive marketplace begins. Next question capitalism, and that's the answer. Okay, through Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration and private industry developed a COVID vaccine in record time. All right, so he starts answering the question. As soon as he answers the question, it starts glitching. And now it's got just music playing. It says, we'll be right back. And that lasted for eight minutes. Sorry the music was playing, but that lasted for eight minutes. So they asked the question about Operation Warp Speed. He starts answering about how drug companies should not have uh, immunity. And all of a sudden, it starts glitching. And so next, they're going to play through, they're going to fast forward through all the ads because there was eight minutes of ads. But the last thing you're going to hear, I believe, is his actual answer. So uh, hold on. It's about three minutes, 27 seconds, and we're about 30 seconds in. So it's about three minutes long. So uh, I may even fast forward a little bit through the commercials because uh, they just fast forward through them, letting you know how many commercials they had, which really we don't need to hear. So here we go. Administration and private industry developed a COVID vaccine in record time. The program protected the drug companies from virtually all lawsuits over vaccine injuries. The government has a program to compensate for such harm, but critics say it is a black hole of bureaucracy. 12,000 claims filed, 10% decided, only eight payouts so far in a forum with no right to counsel, no hearings, no appeals. Mr. Trump says he's very proud of warp speed. Should he be? Well, this question specifically on liability goes back to actually Reagan. And Reagan is a president who I admire. Many of us do. I think that reviving that spirit is in many ways going to be good for this country in so many ways. But one of the areas where he erred was this special form of lobbying to say that one kind of manufacturer, a vaccine manufacturer, cannot be sued for their product liability. So I have pledged it is part of my legislative agenda. We will repeal that, just like we will repeal every other form of crony capitalism. People who have been harmed by those vaccines deserve accountability. They cannot be forgotten Americans. And I think one of the top lessons we learned from that COVID pandemic is that free speech in this country is most important in those alleged times of emergency. If we had been allowed to openly debate the merits of those vaccines, they did you notice he said alleged time of emergency? See, that right there is huge. Uh, he, he didn't buy into the narrative that, oh, it was an emergency. He said alleged time of emergency. Uh, and, of course, that's, 20, you know, that's hindsight's twenty twenty. But so few politicians will say uh, alleged time of uh, emergency. You know, some of us, many of you will say pandemic. Uh, he's saying the exact same thing, pandemic, but in a more nuanced and acceptable way. But make no mistake about it, he's sending a message. I know this was, and he says it, He this was cast upon America by China. Here we go. He's continuing his answer. Would have been never mandated in the way that they were. And in general, I don't think that we should want capitalism and democracy to share the same bed anymore. It's time for a clean divorce. Let companies be companies, but I don't like the crony capitalism. This dates back a long time in both parties. And I think that we need to end the lobbying. And I personally believe 
that if you have been working in the government, you should not lobby that government for 10 years. If you have been a government elected official doing deals with companies, be they Boeing or be they pharmaceutical companies, you should not join the board of that company for 10 years after. The former chairman of the FDA, the leader commissioner of the FDA, ended up on the board of Pfizer. Nikki Haley did deals with Boeing, ends up on the board of Boeing. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. We need some basic principles that end the corruption in government. That's how we got the health insurance exemptions. That's how we got the pharmaceutical product liability okay. exemptions. Thank you. We end the corruption. We Sorry, need... <laughs> Man, he's good. He's good. Uh, and that's, again, what, what Rush was saying. We need someone that can articulate uh, conservatism. Donald Trump really doesn't articulate conservatism. What he does so well is says uh, and and expresses the frustration, the disgust, uh, the uh, you know, just the 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 utter uh, frustration, I guess is the only word that comes back to mind. Uh, he he does that so really well in such a clear, concise, raw way and so I think that's why he he connects even though he's a billionaire and you know has no clue of of the day-to-day struggles that you and I may have not that he's never had them he's just you know on a different plane uh but uh but he's able to communicate and articulate in a way, not necessarily com- uh, conservative principles, because I don't think he's necessarily that conservative, but he's anti-government. And I think that last run and then this, them coming after him, his if his eyes were not opened, uh, buddy, they were open within a year or so. Of, of being president. And the thing about most presidents on both sides of the aisle, they become more conservative because they understand how incredibly corrupt the government is. Now, this next one is Vivek with Dana Bash, and he's calling out the, and he's really the one, I think, that has resurrected probably one of the most corrupt. And controversial and um, scandalous things that has happened probably since Watergate. No, before Watergate. Watergate is nothing compared to this. Uh, Watergate actually was was so overblown. It was the it was the the cover up, and and anybody will tell you that. It was not what they did. It was the cover up with Nixon and Watergate. But and that is what I'm speaking of is the Gretchen Whitmer uh, and, and the whole uh, the kidnapping plot that was actually put together by the Federal Corruption Investigation Agency, the FBI, uh, the Federal Bogus Investigation uh, Agency. So here's Dana Bash, uh, you know, saying how ridiculous it is that. He would, you know, say something about this this Gretchen Whitmer thing, just just going along with it, you know, and and he pushes back and does it really well. So again, when I click on this, it's gonna skip forward, so I have to go back and reset it. So give me just a second. He said Congress was. Let's start with January sixth. Sure. 
There is no evidence that it is an inside job. It was a fringe conspiracy theory that the Trump-appointed FBI director, Christopher Wray, has said explicitly over and over is just not true. So let me, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to address it. I was an anti-woke crusader leaving the business world, and if you had asked me three years ago, is there some chance January 6th is an inside job, I would have said that was crazy talk. I would say looking at the facts of the video footage that have come out, Dana, it is shocking that you still haven't gotten a clear answer of how many federal agents were in the field that day. Look at now the video footage of actually throwing explosives and rubber bullets into what was a peaceful crowd, then releasing to the public what came in response to that. But now look at the video footage that was released, and I'm glad we're talking about it because viewers deserve to look at that footage. Capitol Police literally letting people in who were then now prosecuted, some of whom have gone on to commit suicide because of what the government's doing. That is a case of entrapment, and I think the government has not been transparent about this, which is why I then brought up another case where the government, now 20 years later, with declassified documents, tells us that they lied to us at the time. And so I do think we have a government that's people. consistently lied to its people. But inside jobs suggest that everybody was who, who attacked the Capitol was well, part of that. I didn't say that, but I was saying that there's, case, there's entrapment going on. There's entrapment going on, and this looks like a case of entrapment. And if you look at even over what the do last you mean day, by entrapment? entrapment means that the police no. goaded people to do something otherwise than they otherwise wouldn't have done, and then they arrest them for actually doing it. And you, you don't that, think and, it was and, actually the former president who let's, was? Let's, trying well, I think to that was the media narrative. Now look at actually we a hard case. We heard well, him. We heard him. Let's case and see what you think about this, right? You guys said this for a long time about the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot. Suddenly gone silent after it comes out of trial that absolutely that was a case of entrapment, which is why two of those people were acquitted. So I'm saying this as somebody who. On the other side of this, as a biotech CEO, somebody who was even anti-woke, but if I was looking at this, I would have said a lot of this is crazy talk. But if you actually get into the details, I think it is startling how much the government has systematically lied. And I think it's both both parties over the course of the last 25 years. But on the, January the left used to be better 6, pointing this out the, and being skeptical of the government, the most, but now it's the right. Which is the most aggressive, offensive attack on the U.S. Capitol and on democracy itself that we have seen in our lifetime and in many, many lifetimes to say without evidence that it was an inside I'm not saying it without dangerous. evidence. I think that what we're seeing now is the video footage that's come out. I was in a different place before a lot of that evidence came out. But you have to respond to the evidence. What is your response or what is anybody else on CNN's response to the video footage that was released of Capitol Police literally just peacefully allowing well, people well, into the Capitol? What we know or is shooting that into 850 people that's, that's, have been convicted but, of crimes. But the reality is many of them were convicted before that information was released. Because And I'm do you think that former President Trump has there, anything to do with no, no, this? No, because you're bringing up a really good point and your audience and everybody deserves to know the truth about this. Normally there's a rule in constitutional law. It's called the Brady Rule. You have to turn over exculpatory evidence to the other side. In this case, it wasn't turned over because the DOJ said Congress okay. was sitting on Let's, let's start. Okay. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, man, the guy. And, and then like last night, the young lady, I can't remember her name, during the town hall, maybe the night before last, she asked him a question about January 6th, and I apologize. A lot of that was about January 6th. I thought it was all about Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, but it's not just CNN. It's Fox News as well. You got Greg Kilmeade, who is just insufferable. Uh, and then you got, I can't remember her name, Airhar or Airhead. And then Ducey. Uh, is Ducey the other one? No, it's not Ducey. I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the early morning crew. And uh, they're so highly hurt about him not supporting 
uh, Ukraine. Uh, listen to him, and Kilmeade won't even let him talk uh, because that's what you do when you have a weak argument. You try to shout down the other person, but he is so good at just staying on course. So uh, check this out. I have at the Nixon Library and elsewhere. Here we go. Taking just a minute to load. Uh, one second. Yeah, but, yeah, but the problem, i just like to know with his policy, it's just ridiculous on, on Russia and Ukraine. He says, tell Russia basically they can have Ukraine if they promise not to have an alliance with China. I mean, if there's... Uh, can we hear us now? Hey, Vivek, I can hear. Vivek yeah. are, you comfortable, can hear you. are you comfortable with Russia taking as much as Ukraine as they want? Are you comfortable pulling all our aid out? And do you really believe that Vladimir Putin will agree not to have an alliance with China? I think we have to be play hardball there and make a hard deal that requires any reneging on that deal to have major consequences. Like what? Like for sanctions so like we have right now? Well, look, I think that we have to be able to have real consequences, maximum pressure campaign. We have sanctions. We don't have a maximum pressure campaign. And I can go into the details of that, and I have at the Nixon Library and elsewhere. But what I'm saying, Brian, is the clear principles are this war doesn't advance U.S. interests. Yes, it does. If you give us Eastern Europe, if you give us Eastern Europe, we'll be in a world war. If I may ask you a question. Right. You ask a question, I want to make sure I answer it. It is in our interest. Detailed contours of a deal. I think it is not in our interest to strengthen the Russia-China alliance, and I think our policy it's right be now done is anyway. driving Russia further into China's well, arms. It's going to be done anyway. You, you cannot you keep that. Russia from China. I think Russia is going. I think the answer is we are driving Russia into China's hands. There are kinks in the armor of that relationship. Look at Russia sending weapons to India and to Vietnam after other meetings they've had. This is our opportunity. Nixon did this in 1972. And Brian, respectfully, people like you said the same thing, that Nixon right. couldn't do it. Uh, well, I was, I was skeptical of that establishment. That's going to be me. Uh, I was seven well, years I mean, old. But you uh, we, but, we but, can but, both... You said, well, okay, history, okay, and I, I trust you they, know that. Are you comfortable giving up Eastern Europe? Because you know they're already taking Moldova, already making moves on the Baltic already. They're taking more and more pieces of Georgia. And all we've done is sit there and send blankets and MREs, and we got an invasion. So what is going to be next? Because we have no idea how Ukraine has spent $200 billion of our money. We're forking over more taxpayer money. <laughs> Do you so see how they fight? The crack can buy These guys house. are the best That's fighters in the world. They're not going to stand for that. Ukrainians are probably the best lie. fighters in the world. It's not some democracy. Ukraine is fighting for their sovereignty. Well, you, and they I were mean, invaded. The news they were invaded. Ukraine has actually assassinated a former presidential candidate. It just candidate makes you sound so naive. doesn't like to report that. So naive. Well, you give up Ukraine and then a few years you'll be criticizing Joe way. Biden for giving up Ukraine. I respectfully, I, you know, we, we, we can respectfully. And now, Brian, I, I think that if, if I called Nikki Haley naive, you guys would be having a conniption. Let's be honest about that. But you want to call me naive, I actually understand what the heck I'm talking about Who's here. He, really? Nixon did this in 72. We can actually, we can actually split just, up the Russia China. And, and what happened? American interests. I think what, World War II is your better what, example. I think it is offensive. World War II well, is your better World example. World War II. One is a diplomatic approach, and one is an active war. Germany. That's pitiful, man. See how Kill Me just talks over him and keeps talking over him. Uh, what a piece of work. Uh, but anyway, if you could uh, have split up Japan and Germany, then I do think that you actually have a problem. Really? World War Two. You were going to get. So you see, you see right there the uh, 
Even even when he, he, you know, and Fox News is no better than CNN, but even when they are hostile to him, Dana Bash, it doesn't matter who it is, man, he just has the ability just to keep uh, plowing along, and he's just, He's he's really good at what he does. He he just is. He's he's so very good at at what he does. Uh, l- let me give you just a couple of more examples here, if I can get them. Uh, but again, we're talking tonight about why Wrestling Ball would have loved Vivek Ramaswamy, and the premise was that that uh, that. Rush had such an ability to communicate conservatism, and uh, I have a lot of more examples. I'm having a little bit of trouble here with my uh, with X. Uh, I think I'm, I'm I, I think I've got it back here. So let me yeah let me let me get you this uh, yeah they they were asking him was Trump fit for office yes or no. Here's the thing again that I love about Vivek is. He answers the question, and uh, it's not typical political speech. So uh, DeSantis wouldn't answer the question. Uh, so here's the question asked, and let me let me run it back. Because I have fresh legs, because I can reach the next generation, and I'm making. Here we go. Uh, one question that went unanswered tonight that, that yeah. we would like to get a direct answer to, obviously, was not to you at the time. Uh, Governor Chris Christie was posing it to Governor Ron DeSantis about is Donald Trump fit for office? Just a yes or a no answer. I think he's perfectly fit for office. Now, the question is what choice do the voters want to make? I think I'm the best candidate to lead the America First agenda to the next level. See, uh, he, he just had no problem answering the question. That's what I love about him. Uh, here's a great, um, a great exchange between him and Alex Jones. Uh, he was on, I believe he was on Alex Jones' uh, uh, podcast. And he's talking about fixing the deep state. And, and Alex Jones has some really good stuff here. This is really not on topic of what I'm talking about tonight. But I thought it was interesting enough that you ought to hear it. So somebody who literally used g- Give me just a second to set it up, and then we'll... Okay, here we go. Three, two, and... The numbers go. all show around the world, populist, nationalist, free market, common sense people are winning everywhere really panicking the whole BlackRock combine. How do we fire the global deep state that controls our deep state? And I know the U.S. is kind of the center of that, but it's a Siamese twin situation. You know, who's more powerful, BlackRock or the U.S. government? It's really, you know, one joint at the hip situation. But how do we fire the deep state? Well, it starts with somebody who literally uses the Constitution to get in there and literally fire the deep state. That's why I'm running for president. I think that this is the most important time for us to have a U.S. president that actually takes aim at this. And the reason why is, you're right, it, it is transpartisan, it is transnational. But the U.S. is funding many of those multilateral institutions, from the U.N. to a lot of the other multilateral institutions, WHO and otherwise, that are hostile to our sovereignty. The U.S. is also, it's government actors that are sharing pension fund money with the likes of BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, but the BlackRocks of the world, many of the assets they manage are the... Those of governments anyway, including those of blue state actors in California or otherwise. So I think if you're actually going to get somebody in the U.S. presidency who will actually shut down 75% of that federal bureaucracy, 
that's I think the head of the snake. You're right. It's it's multidirectional, and there's I'm not going to oversimplify a complex phenomenon. But if you had to pick one area, one head of the snake to kill, it's the bureaucracy in the federal government. That's really what you have to what we have to train and ultimately gut. That's right. That's and the that's the fifth column. That's the unelected group that that keeps thwarting the will of, of the people. That's right. And so I think that we have to use constitutional authority to do it. One of the things they told Trump was you can't fire those people because of civil service protections. Well, I think this is where really understanding the law and the Constitution are helpful, Alex, which is that if you read the law carefully, the civil service protections do not apply to mass layoffs. And mass layoffs are absolutely what I will be bringing to the D.C. bureaucracy. Well, Clinton, Clinton did that. Clinton fired like something like 50%. He fired 98 of the U.S. attorneys. It's all a lie. The executive can do that immediately. Exactly. And we now have a current Supreme Court that agrees with me on this 6-3. to three. So I'm getting in there on day one and getting started. And you know what? They are going to sue me. We'll take that to the Supreme Court. Now we win. And I actually give a lot of credit to Trump for giving us that Supreme Court. But I think it takes a leader now more than ever, Alex, who is, yes, an outsider, somebody coming in, willing to break glass. I've been breaking glass on that debate stage. I'm going to be doing it in Washington, D.C. But also an outsider who knows and deeply understands the law and the Constitution of this country. Those two things don't usually go together. Right. On one hand, you have the That's right. Trump, Trump didn't understand that. That right there is one of the, the most important uh, things that I mentioned earlier is we have had so few uh, I can't remember a president we've not had a president probably since JFK that understood uh, what he could do had the courage to do it and then had the communication skills to let the American people know and what a powerful powerful uh, combination. I'll tell you another powerful combination, and i got a little bit more here for you tonight, is uh, our sponsors. And I'm so thankful for Red River Auto, redriverauto.com, the most patriotic car company in America. Listen, if you're looking for a used or new car, no matter what type, uh, they pretty much can get it. They'll ship it anywhere, just like uh, Carvana or any of the rest of them can do. But you're dealing with bedrock, rock rib conservatives in Mitch Ward, his family, and the family of uh, car dealerships that they have. That's redriverauto.com. Let them know the Red Pill Plus podcast sent you. Uh, and then also MyPillow, MyPillow.com. Don't forget to use that promo code RED. And then last, Purpose Media Publishing. If you are a loved one or someone you know, a friend, has been wanting to publish a book, a children's book, I've got a couple of children's books that we're interviewing authors this next week. We just finished a my special one uh, children's book, beautifully illustrated book. We just finished it, just went to press. It's actually being printed as we speak. Uh, and then we have another one, like I said, on the table. Uh, so a uh, lot of lot of good uh, good stuff. Uh, go to my uh, I'm sorry, purposemediapublishing.com. Uh, go ahead and log in or, or uh, reserve you uh, a 15 20 minute uh, consultation. Uh, the, the package normally is 19.95. We're doing it for 14.95, $500 off, and we're doing it $100 and $100 a month. So and no interest. 
So you, you can't beat it. Um, uh, here, uh, Vivek is talking about health care. And uh, this is really good. And I wanted you to uh, I wanted you to watch this or listen to this. Hold on. Vivek Ramaswamy joins me now. Vivek, great to see you tonight. Trademark jacket in place as always. Great to have you here on Fox News. Tell me, Vivek, you know, I want to talk about substance first. And then we'll get to style. The substance. Here is an issue that you are championing that I think everyone needs to revisit and is unwilling to revisit, which is why does one industry in this country have total immunity from product liability? Crony capitalism. I mean, that's the simple answer to a lot of the questions in our failed system, Will, is that we say in the name of capitalism what we really have are private actors and industries, in this case the pharmaceutical industry, that has captured government actors to do their bidding. This is what's happened with respect to this special shield for vaccine manufacturers. And actually on that debate stage, I also talked about special antitrust exemptions built in for insurance companies, including health insurance companies. That's the cancer at the, at the cycle of the cost in our healthcare system is we don't have enough health insurance competition. And so wherever the problem traces, Will, often in our market, it traces back to crony capitalism, mm. the merger of state power and corporate power to together do what neither can alone by capturing politicians. And that's why I've been on a crusade, frankly, against both parties, Democrats foremost, but in the Republican Party, too against politicians who are responsive to special interests. Every politician today is dancing to the tune of their puppet masters and the establishment of both parties. And I do think it's going to take somebody who's independent of that to drive real legislative change, healthcare sector included. Well, and war included as well. And I, I, I can tell yes. you that I, for one, appreciate you pointing out crony capitalism when it comes to one of the most important things in human existence, and that's the use of violence, the tool of war. You and he talks about War Inc. next there uh, uh, when he when he gets into this. Uh, then uh, Will, I can't think of his last name, uh, on Fox News, which he's probably one of the only ones I would watch if I watch Fox News and I don't. Uh, so here they're getting into the whole thought, I mean the whole thing about War Inc. And we've not had a president uh, except for Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan included. Donald Trump really started America First, started the MAGA, uh, started the clean out the swamp. And I think Vivek is uh, taking that to the uh, next level. And so here we'll ask him about War Inc. And uh, th this is probably in my mind, other than the border, is the number one issue. So let me set it up, and then we'll go from there. Experience with 100 or 200 people in a room. Okay, here we go. I, I, I can tell yes. you that I, for one, appreciate you pointing out crony capitalism when it comes to one of the most important things in human existence, and that's the use of violence, the tool of war. You brought that up, and I personally found it very convincing when you said, name three provinces in Ukraine. You asked that of Nikki Haley. You asked that of Chris Christie. But I have to always separate myself, Vivek, from what I think, feel, or see, and what maybe is resonating with the masses. And you just probably heard some of the feedback from Lee Carter in the dial testing of those moments where you challenged Nikki Haley. And I did have concerns. So they, as I watched that, I, I wondered, how will this resonate with the casual viewer? Not the person that's already bought into Vivek's big ideas. And there are some, apparently, that don't like the style, Vivek. 
Well, look, I think there's a time and place for everything. On the debate stage, I mean, I've been four events in Iowa here today, and that's a very different personalized experience with 100 or 200 people in a room. But on a debate stage, I think part of what we are doing is drawing hard contrasts. And, well, I'm going to say something that I know you're not supposed to say, but I'm going to out this because I think it's the truth. I think there's absolutely a double standard based on identity politics. Remember, in each of the last two debates, Nikki Haley called me dumb and scum. I don't engage in name-calling. Even Chris Christie used fouler language that I don't want to use right here on that debate stage. I don't resort to that. But I will be unsparing to say that if you're going to send our sons and daughters to go fight in somebody else's war, or $200 billion of our taxpayer money to advance Ukraine's war, you better darn well know at least which provinces in Ukraine you're fighting for. And the fact of the matter is the very people who have wielded their foreign policy experience as a card for right. much of this race... I think I revealed them really quickly. Frauds. The they don't know the first thing about what they're fighting for. Really so I think quickly before we go. Rather, and I want to say one thing, Will, is I'd sure. rather speak the truth and lose an election than to win by playing some political snakes and ladders. But my long-run bet is not in the short run, but in the long run, that's the approach that actually pays off because if you want someone who's going to speak truth to power, you want yeah. somebody who's going to speak the truth to you, and that's what I'm doing. Well, truth is often unpopular, Vivek. Um, and yeah. uh, we'll appreciate continuing to talk. All right, uh, that's a that's a great exchange right there. Um, got a couple of more here that I wanted to give you. Uh, I think this may have been my first time to ever hear. No, no, this is not it. But the first time I heard Vivek Ramaswamy was probably uh, eighteen months ago, and it was at some kind of financial symposium. And I was like, man, I don't know who that cat is, but he's sharp. This is about the uh, digital currency, central bank, uh, and so listen to him here, uh, and then we're going to close out with one about uh, the teachers' union. So let me set this up again, because when I click this, it's going to fast forward. It's just the way uh, X works. So hold on one second. Currency in the UK. Here we go. You you mentioned the. Uh in passing, uh, central bank digital currency uh, CBDC. Uh, do you think it's 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 fair uh, to suggest the Biden administration is is advocating for a CBDC? If there's there's been no position outlined apart from the Fed saying uh, it would need Congress and the White House to ask for it, uh, and since this Congress almost certainly wouldn't do that, what's all the fuss about? That. Well, look, I think the Fed now program is clearly taking steps in that direction. The fuss is also looking at other countries. I mean, look at. I mean, you see public arguments being made and adopted in places like the UK under, you know, supposedly even conservative leadership because China's adopting a digital yuan that there needs to be central bank digital currency in the UK. And some of those same arguments are absolutely being made under Yellen and otherwise in the Treasury today. And so I think the fuss is about when you have a regulatory set of agencies that have adopted a lot of power that they're exercising without congressional consent, and then those same regulators start talking about the merits of a central bank digital currency and then start to take steps through the Fed Now program and otherwise that they send a motion that could pave the groundwork for it. Yes, I think the citizenry ought to be alert to that. And so, to the contrary, maybe in your world you'd call it a lot of fuss. I, I, I challenge you to turn on cable news and you're not going to have heard or print media or the New York Times. There is no fuss. So, I, I, I just, you know, just in, in jest, but turn it around. But what's the fuss about saying that there's a fuss? Because there isn't one, right? And I think that that's actually to the contrary, something that people actually need to be. Yeah, great point. He was saying there's actually no, 
there's no fuss going on. Um, uh, let, let me close out with this one because I think it speaks probably more to what I was trying, hopefully trying to get over to you tonight was why I think Rush Limbaugh would have loved Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy so much is his directness, his a, a willingness and ability to answer questions uh, and to answer them with great detail. But he talks about the winning path for conservatives, and he mentions the GOP because it is the party of conservatives, even though there's not a lot, you know, there's more or a lot of establishment there. Uh, is He talks about abortion and the path is not to compromise our principles. Uh, and he talks about uh, which I've long advocated for is, uh, you know, a lot of times women will, especially young, and, and I know this because I, I have a nonprofit and I've had it for 12 years. And uh, actually, I have a, a, a partner in that endeavor. I started on my own and then she came in and really just ran it for you know, 12 years. So we've been in existence about 15 years called ArkansasMetro.org. And we're, we're going to take this nationwide eventually, and obviously it won't be Arkansas Metro then. But we help working, the working poor. Uh, and so if you, uh, on the buy me a cup of coffee thing that you'll find on my ex uh, page, if, if you ever buy me a cup of coffee, uh, or donate uh, that hundred percent of that money is going to uh, Metro to help uh, families. But one thing that I found is predominantly we work with probably uh, the single working mothers is eighty percent or ninety percent black, and there's no man in the picture, uh, at least not the father of the children typically, and typically it's more than one father. Uh, if there's several children, and almost, I would say, 98% of the time, uh, which is very different in the white community, the uh, amount of single mothers in the white community is not a lot different. It's, it's you know, it's 50%, just like it is in the black community, or, or much higher in the black community, actually. Uh, but what I was saying is the 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 white women require those men to uh, take responsibility for that child. And so it's it's almost like, and I don't know the answer to this, why uh, black women will not ask uh, of the men who father these children to be responsible for them. But uh, Vivek makes this point, which I've not heard anybody else make, and I know for a fact doing this for 15 years, uh, and, and seeing it every single uh, day that uh, it's it's a reality. So he talks about this, and I thought it would be a, a great uh, place to stop. It's about two minutes, so give me a minute to set it up, and then we'll go from there. ...election in a landslide. Here we go. Let's talk about the difficult issue of abortion. And to know what the path forward is, you have to know the path that got us here. I'm going to go very quickly through some constitutional history here. Roe versus Wade was an incorrectly decided case. 
where the Supreme Court read something into the 14th Amendment that wasn't there. The 14th Amendment, among other things, ensures due process under the law. Well, that's about a procedural protection, regardless of race or otherwise. Yet the Supreme Court says, we're going to read that due process clause to somehow invent a right to privacy. That doesn't exist under the Constitution. Now, if you wanted to really make that interpretation, I would have at least made the argument for the citizens, for the privileges and immunities clause for citizens, to say that there are at least certain privileges and immunities that the government gives you. If you really want to torture a reading of a right to privacy that protects abortion, you might have at least used Section 1 of the 14th Amendment, the privileges and immunities clause. But nope, they don't want to do that in the Supreme Court because of some long historical reasons related to the slaughterhouse cases. That's a longer history and a topic for another day. They went to the tortured interpretation of the substantive due process interpretation of the due process clause in the 14th Amendment. So they basically made it up. So what happened then about 50 years later in the Dobbs case last year was the Supreme Court overturned Roe correctly on constitutional grounds. Not on the grounds of whether they like abortion or not, and that's what we need to understand, on the grounds of the Constitution of the United States. Making the simple holding that the due process clause of the Constitution does not protect some unwritten right to privacy that includes the right to get an abortion. That's what the Supreme Court held last year, and correctly so. Great. That's a win for the Constitution. But now Republicans, I worry, are about to score an own goal. Look at every candidate in this race. Every other candidate who's on that debate stage was favoring some kind of federal ban. Even Nikki Haley, who really refuses to make her stance clear, when pressed, says that she would sign into law a federal abortion ban while offering a lot of mealy-mouthed atmospherics about nice-sounding statements that refuse to take a stand on the issue when she's forced to take some semblance of a stand, even says that she would favor a federal ban. Let's go to the constitutional basis. The federal government does not have the constitutional authority to write a ban when the federal government doesn't give them, when the Constitution does not give the federal government that power. What do they say? The Commerce Clause. Well, any Republican who's going to use the Commerce Clause to expand the federal government's role should not be in office, period. What do they say? The 14th Amendment protects life. Well, that's a more tortured interpretation of the 14th Amendment than the Roe versus Wade court brought to bear because that was never used for the basis for the federal government to pass murder laws or anything else either. So we have to stick to those constitutional principles. This is an issue for the states. And I want to mark my words on this one. More unborn babies will die in the next 30 years if we federalize this issue. Because the next time Democrats then gain control of the White House and Congress, they're going to say that if this is a federal issue, they can then use that to legislate Roe versus Wade into law. That's a loss for the pro-life movement that I consider myself to be part of as well. So what's the right answer? States need to take action. And how do we do this in a way that doesn't compromise on our pro-life pro principles? but also allows us to win this next general election in a landslide. Here's the answer. Here's the punchline that nobody else is talking about. We have allowed the left to define this issue as a men's versus women's rights issue. It need not be that way. Here's how. Greater sexual responsibility for men codified in the law. Speaking as a man, here's what I favor. Laws that say, if a woman brings a child to term, then she at her exclusive option and right can make the man, under the law, the principal caretaker who's responsible for bringing up that child. 
We couldn't do this in most of our nation's history, but we can today because we have genetic paternity tests that are 100% reliable. If we're willing to do that, now a lot of men would say, wait, hold, hold on, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. That's the point. It's not necessarily comfortable for most men, but that's exactly what we need to stand for life, to say that it's not about men's rights or women's rights anymore. It's about human rights. And I, for one, am ready to walk the walk when it comes to being pro-life. If a woman brings that child to term, if she bears the pregnancy, she can then make the man responsible for actually raising that child. Now we're in this together. This doesn't have to be a losing issue for Republicans. With that simple plank, and I want to make that part of the Republican Party's pro-life plank, part of our pro-life policy platform, if we do that, then this isn't going to be a losing issue for us. I think this will be an issue where we're able to stand for life, stand for what Clarence Thomas said in that Dobbs case. That pregnant woman who's walking the street, and if her unborn child dies as a result of an assault, then that criminal should be held responsible for that death. Most Americans agree on that. And we give them the permission to say so if we codify into the law sexual responsibility for men. That's how Republicans win on this issue. There's not a single other Republican talking about it. If we make that the core of our pro-life platform, then we're going to be successful in making sure that abortion isn't some losing issue for us, but actually an issue where we're able to stand for our principles and still win elections as a consequence. That's the answer on abortion. Wow. And that, my friend, is why Rush Limbaugh would have absolutely loved Vivek Ramaswamy. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, hanging with me tonight, being here. Uh, It's meant a lot to me. Been quite a bit longer than what I normally would do. Uh, Been about almost 70 minutes. Uh, But, of course, a lot of that was him talking. But that is why I think... Rush Limbaugh would absolutely love Vivek Ramaswamy. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. And I'll be talking to you, uh, Lord willing, between now and Christmas. If for some reason you don't get to listen uh, again before uh, now, between now and Christmas, have a Merry Christmas. God bless. And uh, we'll talk later. Bye-bye. to the Red Pill Plus Podcast. Sports Plus News done right. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. In the meantime, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at Red Pill Plus. And check the website at docwashburn.com slash